Ukraine expresses solidarity for Israel following deadly weekend attacks. Ukrainians understand very precisely what's happening uh, in Israel and how Israeli people feel at this point. Plus, with Congress in turmoil, U.S. aid for Ukraine is still in limbo. I think uh, the drip-by-drip approach that we've used has been very damaging. It has drawn out the war. It has caused greater loss of life. It has given the Russians time to build these massive defenses in the south that they have built. And later in the program, the growing humanitarian crisis in Ukraine worsening by the day as Russia ramps up its assaults on civilian targets. Today is Monday, October 9th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Lori London in Washington. Ukraine's capital, Kyiv, flashed Israel's national flag on advertising boards on Sunday, signaling support after a surprise Hamas attack on Israel that was unraveling into full-scale violence in the region. This as Ukraine itself saw another weekend of Russian bombardment in a number of regions. I talked to Anna Chernikova in Kyiv for an update on all of it. Russian forces continue shelling of the Ukrainian cities and over the weekend, and we have reports from the Parisia, Odessa and Kherson region with most of the shelling happening there. What's important to mention that Russian forces used Onyx missiles to attack Odessa. Um, Onyx missiles were previously used once as well, um, but these missiles normally are not used for land on land attacks. From Odessa, we know about four victims and the heat at the recreation facility, as well as damages of the grain storage in private buildings. In the Parisia region, five private buildings were damaged, with one local resident killed and two injured. In the Parisia region, Russian forces used cluster munitions to launch uh, their attack over the weekend. And Kherson region, again, was under the fire. We know about 11 people injured, including a nine-month-old baby and a medical worker of the Red Cross. On Sunday morning, during the morning service, one of the cathedrals in Kherson was under Russian attack as well. The damages of the cathedral facilities and two people were reported injured. This is one of the big cathedrals in the city. And with all of this happening and now a lot of the media attention has been turning to Israel with what has been happening there with the Hamas attack over the weekend. At the same time, I understand that Ukraine is keeping a close eye on this. President Zelensky has shown his support for Israel. He spoke to Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. I understand there may be Ukraine Ukrainian officials seem to think there may be some connection to the Hamas terrorists in Russia. This is actually true and this is was discussed here in Ukraine a lot, uh, that Ukraine definitely sees Russian role in this recent escalation uh, of war in Israel. And um, what's important, what's the main aim, uh, according to Ukrainian experts and Ukrainian politics, is uh, basically Russia tr- is trying to turn world's attention away from Ukraine. A similar opinion actually was also expressed by President of Poland and in the recent report by the Institute for the Study of War, uh, as well as uh, Zara also talks about Russian military support uh, of Hamas and uh, uh, Iranian uh, support as well. But again, this we cannot uh, discuss. Uh, it, it was no official reports on that at this point. However, Ukrainian Ministry of Defense reports that Russia handed over to Hamas trophy weapons captured during hostilities here in Ukraine, uh, which 
were manufactured in the US and EU. And according to the Ukrainian Minister of Defense, Russia plans to launch a disinformation campaign to accuse Ukrainian military of selling these Western weapons to the terrorist organization. And this is something that was discussed today. We can also say that for Ukraine, this escalation in Israel has a very important uh, angle because a lot of Ukrainians are living in Israel and a lot of Ukrainians were going to Israel uh, when full-scale invasion happened. So basically, they are refugees to Israel. And at this point, there are reports of at least two Ukrainians killed uh, during this latest escalation in Israel. And I understand there are billboards and flags. And actually, on Sunday, in Kyiv particularly, all electronic billboards were representing uh, support to Israel with Israeli flags uh, on it. And this was in a cooperation with local authorities. So uh, Kyiv is definitely showing its support to the people of Israel. Ukrainians understand very precisely what's happening uh, in Israel and how Israeli people feel at this point. So we'll see what uh, what the next day will bring us. Anna Chernikova reporting for VOA from Kyiv. Congress's failure to include aid for Ukraine in a recent continuing resolution to fund the U.S. government has raised concern about future support for Ukraine's ability to defend itself from Russia's invasion. Now, with aid also promised to Israel following the deadly weekend attacks by Hamas militants, will that further complicate efforts to support Ukraine? I spoke with Ambassador Kurt Volker, a distinguished fellow at the Center for European Policy Analysis. He served as U.S. Special Representative for Ukraine negotiations from 2017 through 2019 and as the former U.S. Ambassador to NATO. A lot of concern over future funding for Ukraine from Democrats, from the Republican, from European allies, given that the continuing resolution on September 30th that kept the U.S. government open left out aid for Ukraine. It was literally the reason that it was being held up by a small group of Republicans in Congress. Now, we know the bill was only temporary, so the debate will be back up again in a couple of weeks. And it seems that there's a lot of uncertainty as to what happens if we don't provide funding for for Ukraine, what happens to our relationship with our allies? What happens to Ukraine? What what happens with our own national security? What is your perspective on this? Um, you know, I think everyone is obviously watching this, but even in all the things that you just listed, there are a number of positive things. First off, I think it was helpful to pass a clean continuing resolution um, and take Ukraine aid out of that because the overall issues on the budget are very controversial. And also the way that this was passed, which was overruling the far-right minority in the Republican Party, which then caused this rebellion against McCarthy, all of those things were happening on their own, independent of aid to Ukraine. And I think that's useful because now we're going to have to have a situation where they come back to pass a regular budget, even if it's another continuing resolution. They're going to have to choose a new speaker that will probably result in a change of this rule that only one member is required to file a motion to vacate. And as a result of all that, I think then you can come back to voting on Ukraine aid, and it has a better chance of passing as a standalone uh, item. And you have to remember as well that in both the Senate and the House, uh, you have vast majorities uh, in both parties that support aid to Ukraine. The trick is getting it to the floor. Without a House speaker, there won't be a vote. That's right. And I think they will get a speaker. Their first votes to do so will be tomorrow. But it's not going, probably not going to go in one round. They're probably going to have a lot of negotiation over this. But I think there will be a speaker eventually 
eventually it will be a Republican. It will uh, somehow adjust the rules um, that led to this crisis to begin with. I don't think we're they're going to tee it up so that this could happen all over again. But some of the hardliners are saying that they don't want money going to Ukraine, period. Not just, you know, they don't want, they want it to go to the U.S. border security. They're uh-huh. just sort of digging in. Going to That's be able right. to overcome that. And what happens if we don't well, support Ukraine? You're absolutely right that there are some people with that view. And it is also right that many, many more people want to see more attention to the southern border. They're not in compatible helping Ukraine and helping our get control of our southern border, that you can do both. And as far as the votes go, there's only a dozen or so people who take that very hardline view against aid to Ukraine. The vast majority of all the representatives are in favor. There are these hardliners, but they only have a dozen or so votes. It would be very odd for them to be able to dictate the policy over such a vast majority in favor. There were a lot of debates over a lot of issues, Ukraine, of course, among them. And the thing that they were able to get done was a clean continuing resolution, no special supplemental funding or anything. And remember that Ukraine is supplemental. It's not part of the regular budget. So they had to do that just to keep the government running without any additional elements in there. Now they have time to pick a new speaker. They have to deal with the further continuing resolutions or budget that will come basically beginning in mid-November. And then I think they will come back to the question of Ukraine. Concerning the actual support for Ukraine, and why it matters. President Biden is planning to speak to the American people at some point to lay out why he believes support for Ukraine is in our own national security interests. Obviously, support is still there for Ukraine, but it's in recent polls seems to be slipping a bit. What do you think the president needs to say and why is aid to Ukraine so fundamental to American national security interests? Right. Well, first off, it's great that the president is coming out to give a speech like that. Uh, In fact, I would say it's, it's long over do. We've been spending a lot of money. We've been engaged in this effort to help Ukraine for well over a year. And this is the first time that the president is coming out to address the American people this way. I think what he needs to say is that it is an American interest to see Ukraine succeed and Russian forces defeated. Uh, It's not only about charity, it's about serving our own interests. And the reason that it's an American interest is because Vladimir Putin is now on the goal, on the program of trying to rebuild the Russian empire, to take territory in Europe that does not belong to Russia in order to rebuild a sense of empire. And the risk is that he will do this with other countries that are now NATO members, countries that were in the Russian empire previously or the Soviet Union previously that he may now want to take back. Um, This could include the Baltic states, which are members of NATO, could include Finland. He is threatening the security of Europe as a whole. If he does attack a NATO member or widen the war, it will draw the U.S. into it directly. And we certainly don't want to be forced into that position. And we're far better off if his forces are actually defeated in Ukraine. And then we see some kind of acceptance by Russia to live within its own borders. And do you think it would be better for us to just give them the support they need to just conquer this or to continue to give the give it in doses? Yeah, I think uh, the drip by drip approach that we've used has been very damaging. It has drawn out the war. It has caused greater loss of life. Uh, It has given the Russians time to build these massive defenses in the south that they have built. And it has contributed to 
this sense of fatigue or this sense of questioning how long is this going to go on, which is making it harder to pass uh, additional aid in, in the house. So I think we do have to lift the restrictions, give them the weapons that we would want if we were going to be doing this so that they are able to do it themselves. With the U.S. now focused on Israel and the world watching what's happening in Israel, that's something Congress is also going to need to take up. Will that change the equation at all as far as Congress and and the Americans, for that matter, willing no. to support Ukraine? Will that sort of shift the focus or take a priority? Well, it's certainly going to grab the headlines uh, for a while now. The attacks against Israel are absolutely horrific. And of course, Israel is now going to fight back and that will grab attention. But ultimately, I think what we, we see is that these are two sides of the same coin. You have, in one case, Hamas, in another case, Russia, engaging in terrorist attacks, deliberate targeting of civilians, really something that no one can accept. And I think uh, as we look at the way that Israel is fighting back, as it must, I think we have to realize that Ukraine needs to fight back as well. They're just up against a much more powerful adversary. Ambassador Kurt Volker, a distinguished fellow at the Center for European Policy Analysis, who also served as U.S. Special Representative for Ukraine negotiations from 2017 to 2019 and as the former U.S. Ambassador to NATO. With divisions growing from Western allies, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky on Monday spoke to NATO's Parliamentary Assembly and called for Western unity in the face of global events. This is not the time to withdraw from the international arena into internal disputes. This is not the time to isolate ourselves. This is not the time to remain silent or pretend that the terror on one continent does not affect global affairs. Everyone can help prevent the chasm between the world and peace from He also expressed gratitude for the defense support allies have provided while stressing the need to continue for the sake of all. And I thank all of you who are working with us to implement the peace formula. All areas of our cooperation lead to one thing, to ensure that the UN Charter is fully effective in protecting Ukraine and our entire Europe from terror and Aggression. Ladies and gentlemen, I urge your states and parliaments to be even more active for the sake of global unity. Let everyone who sponsors terror feel the power of our rest. And let everyone who needs help defending themselves against terror feel the power of our solidarity. We must all be able to promise our children that we will leave them a world ruled not by blood shed by evil, but by freedom guaranteed by law. Meanwhile, Russia may be paving the way to conduct a nuclear test, a move that would sharply raise tensions with the West and likely prompt other world powers to resume testing for the first time this century. President Vladimir Putin last week said Russia's parliament should consider withdrawing Moscow's ratification of the 1996 Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty, which prohibits tests involving nuclear explosions. Parliamentary leaders were due to discuss the issue on Monday.
You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Lori London. Russia's government said on Friday it had lifted a ban on pipeline diesel exports via ports, removing the bulk of restrictions installed on September 21st. Francis McGuire with Reuters reports. Russia lifted a ban on pipeline diesel exports through ports on Friday. It removes the majority of restrictions put in place last month in a bid to tackle shortages and stem rising prices. The move will force markets to take notice as Russia is the world's top seaborne exporter of diesel. The fuel is also Russia's biggest oil export at about 35 million tonnes last year. Almost three quarters of that was shipped via pipelines. Restrictions on fuel exports from the country have raised global prices and forced some buyers to find other sources of gasoline and diesel. Russia has fought shortages and high fuel prices in recent months, and that especially hurt farmers during the harvesting season. Since the ban was introduced, wholesale diesel prices on the local exchange have fallen by 21%, while gasoline prices are down by a tenth. Even though rules have eased for diesel, gasoline exports still have restrictions in place. Russia exported 4.8 million tons of gasoline in 2022. Francis McGuire reporting for Reuters. With the war now in its second year, the humanitarian needs resulting from Russia's invasion of Ukraine are continuing to mount. I spoke with Akhil Dupre, spokesperson for the International Committee of the Red Cross in Ukraine. What we're seeing is that, as you said, it's something that has been going on for over 18 months that this armed conflict between Ukraine and Russia is going on. And this is taking such a heavy toll on civilians and on civilian infrastructure. And that highlights something that for us as the Red Cross is so unacceptable. It's the fact that civilians should not be the ones suffering from armed conflict. As according to international humanitarian law, according to the Geneva Conventions, civilian infrastructures should be protected and the belligerents must take all protections to spare them. And unfortunately, we see so often that this is sadly not the case. And when this isn't the case, it means that we see just shocking and appalling levels of loss of civilian lives. It's just communities that have been suffering for months because they live close to the front line, because sometimes the front line is moving closer to them. Sometimes they are from remote communities where it's really difficult for a humanitarian organization to access them, and they're the ones suffering the most. And so it's just very shocking and appalling, really. You're saying it's really difficult the way they're living and the infrastructure. Can you be specific about how they are living? Are they living in bomb shelters? What about the homes and schools and and all that? So the thing that we have to understand is that these communities living very close to the front line, sometimes they have seen literally their villages become the front line. So they have had to live sometimes for weeks underground in shelter. Even when their village isn't stricto sensu the front line itself, it means that they're seeing aerial strikes that are going above their heads. Obviously, this takes a toll also on their mental health, on their psychological well-being. So the way they're living is that a lot of these communities, if you're so close to the front line, most people who were in a position to leave, they have left. So this means that the ones that are remaining are typically some of the most vulnerable, for example, the elderly or people with disabilities or children. So they're living in very, very dire conditions. And it's so important that humanitarian organizations like the International Committee of the Red Cross or also our partners of the Ukrainian Red Cross are able to go in these communities regularly and bring them the essentials, really water, food, hygiene products. And also now 
the temperatures are getting quite cold already in Ukraine, but it's going to get much worse in the winter. So all these communities, they're already preparing for the winter. They're repairing their houses when they have been damaged. They have to redo insulation of their houses. So all of these things that need to be done before it gets too cold. So they're really living in very dire conditions. And so you guys are actually going into these communities and bringing emergency assistance to the people living in the conflict zones or are displaced? Are we talking about food, medical? Are you providing housing? How does that all work as far as being these people find a way to survive through all of this? So for us, our main focus is on bringing humanitarian relief to people who are close to the front line because they are the ones that are the most vulnerable and the most affected. What we bring them can be drinking water when they need it. Also, one very important thing is that we come to these communities and we bring repair materials that we donate to these communities so that they can repair, for example, their windows that have been shattered or they can repair the roofs that have been destroyed. So all these things that make it so that they can keep on living as normal a life as possible in these circumstances. We are also going to these communities to help the local authorities because the local authorities are always operating. So we're supporting, for example, the medical infrastructure, the health facilities. We're giving them war wounded kids to treat injuries from missile strikes, this sort of thing. So we are really helping people directly so that they can sustain a living, but also we're helping the authorities around them that are doing everything possible for life to continue in these terribly difficult circumstances. How many staffers do you have on the ground in Ukraine? For us, for the International Committee of the Red Cross, our humanitarian response in Ukraine is our largest operation globally. We have a workforce of around 800 staff, a bit under that, across the country. So that means that we have staff that goes very regularly to all the communities that need humanitarian assistance all across the country. The the front line is extremely long. So we have several offices with uh, colleagues going into the communities. Sometimes it's hard to reach communities because the roads are very difficult. So we are working also hand in hand with our partners from the Ukrainian Red Cross, and they have thousands of volunteers across the country. And they're also helping us tremendously in reaching the people that need us to reach them. Sounds like the needs are extremely intense for food and drinking water. And you mentioned mental health. Obviously, this has obviously taken a a serious toll on the mental health of the people of Ukraine. You guys are also addressing that issue, aren't you? Absolutely. In Ukraine, as in any other country that is affected by armed conflict, of course, you see first the visible scars, the people that are injured, the physical injury. What people often don't see is the mental health toll that it takes on regular people, including children. All right. Well, we thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about all of these important aspects of this ongoing war that continues to devastate the people of Ukraine. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. It's always a pleasure to speak to you, Laura. Akhil Dupre, spokesperson for the International Committee of the Red Cross in Ukraine. Thank you so much for speaking with us. The head of the UN Refugee Agency, meanwhile, said Monday the organization was facing one of the most difficult moments in its more than 70-year history, with some 110 million people displaced around the world and a major funding shortfall. Given this backdrop, I'm extremely worried about the underfunding of UNHCR and broadly speaking, humanitarian operations. More worried than I have been in almost eight years in which I have held this office. 
In an address to the UNHCR's governing body, Filippo Grande urged countries to respect the rights of those fleeing conflict or persecution guaranteed under the 1951 Refugee Convention the body was created to oversee. Conflicts from Ukraine to Sudan have pushed displacements to record levels around the globe at a time when some governments face growing pressure to get tougher on asylum seekers. And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage on Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day at voanews.com. And on social media, just follow VOA News. On behalf of all of us here at VOA, we thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm VOA's Lori London. Washington, bam, 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 zip, D.C.